there's been so much research about the healing effects of writing, what writing does is connect these two parts of the brain that normally don't talk to each other. And every time someone says, oh, this is going to sound crazy, I know they're about to say something profound and true. Welcome to another episode of Write of Your Life, where life happens and life storytelling transforms it. Our show is brought to you by lifestorytelling.com. And guess what? You don't have to be a writer to write your life stories. Lifestorytelling.com will teach you how. If you've been through hell and lived to tell about it, or your family skeletons are poking out of the closet, you'll want to check it out at lifestorytelling.com. Today we have a special guest. Last week we had Jim Stovall, who shared that there had not been a day in the last 22 years that he hasn't read a book from cover to cover. And today I'm really happy to have Anais Salibian here. And I really appreciate her because she was the person who introduced me to life story writing. She was my first memoir writing teacher and is a fabulous person in and out of the classroom. Now, as a young girl, Anais remembers trying to figure out the world in her journals in middle school. She ultimately got a master's degree in English literature, became a practitioner of the Rosen method of mind and body work, and she teaches writing classes at the local literary center in Rochester, New York, called Writers and Books. And that's where I met her. I've taken many classes there at Writers and Books, and Anais is a gifted teacher. It's become her passion to write about trauma and its healing. Welcome, Anais. Hi, Stacy. It's so good to connect again. I know. I've just, I've got chills because you started me on a path. And I always tell this story to people. I discovered when I was in your class a life theme that I had, and it wasn't a really great life theme. And I was able to change that life theme through going to your classes. You just set me on a different path than I was going on before, and I'm really appreciative of that. Well, you know, it's been years, and I just am amazed to see what you've created out of that. One little spark can change the life of someone else, and that's what you do in your classes all the time. So tell me a little bit about what you're doing now and how you help people get through trauma through writing about their life. Well, I do these two, what I used to think of as parallel but unrelated paths, you know, the body work and the writing and the teaching of writing. But there's been so much research about the healing effects of writing that that explains why both my writing students and my body work clients were getting the same results in terms of healing from trauma. Hmm. I think that trauma memories are encoded in our bodies and not the same way that regular memories are, what we call autobiographical memories. Mm -hmm. You know, these are the ones that you can just uh, remember a life event. But traumatic memories are encoded in our cells, in our uh, imagery, our sensory perceptions. And what's really interesting is that the part of the brain that registers your bodily experience is a different part than the part of the brain that is conscious of what you think about yourself. Hmm. So what writing does is connect these two parts of the brain that normally don't talk to each other. And actually, that's in essence what I'm doing in the body work. 
as well as in the writing classes. And, and tell me, what is what is that body work, that the Rosen Method? Give us a brief overview of what that is. Well, it's an interesting thing because it's hands-on. The client is lying on the table. And I'm using what I call listening hands that do not manipulate. They don't try to make any changes happen. But they try to help the client become self-aware of what they're actually experiencing in their body. Hmm. Now, the, this body work includes talking about the experience, and this is the crucial part about words. When someone is immersed in a bodily experience, they often don't have words for it, because that's a different mode of experiencing than our conscious brain. So we search for words, or words come out of the experience, and every time someone says, oh, this is going to sound crazy, I know they're about to say something profound and true. And when they do, I see an immediate change in the body, both in the level of muscle relaxation and in the freedom uh, of breathing in the diaphragm. So to be able to articulate out loud what your experience is immediately de-stresses the body and puts it in the state of the nervous system that allows for healing. You have to be in rest and relax in order to restore. Right. So I'm sure, you know, every day, every day you might notice experiences like this where when you finally say something that's true, there's a big breath of relief, right? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if it's received in a positive way. Exactly. So that's kind of like communication between the body and the mind? Is that what you would? Yes. Okay. Yes. That's what we're establishing a broken connection. Uh, one that is inherently meant to be there, but I think there are two main reasons why we lose it. One is trauma. Mm -hmm. And two, because when, when trauma is happening to you, you, the speech part of your brain actually shuts down. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And secondly, we have a bias in this culture to always be thinking, right? Right. It, yeah, everybody's sort of like a walking brain. and we're As well as, well as being somewhat stoic. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. Yes. So that, I don't know, I, I could rant about why that is so good. <laughs> <laughs> so we can be exploited that's why you know <laughs> right yes uh, well let, let's stop for a moment and, and define trauma what would you yeah. consider a uh, trauma that someone would need need to heal from uh, or yeah. what would is just something that you know oh yeah just something just happened that's not that big of a deal but uh, what is what would you consider trauma that does this to our bodies yeah. well i say that trauma is Anything that happens, that when it happens, you get so overloaded that you can't process it at the moment. Mm -hmm. Your body just goes into f shutdown or wants to run away or, you know, you have the fight or flight or the freeze response. Right. Now, that could be anything from a hurricane to war to a teacher yelling at you. The range of things that cause trauma, it's not the event itself that makes the trauma happen. It's how people respond to you during and after the trauma. Hmm. Yeah. 
So, because what we need, and we've evolved to need another human being there to hold our hand, to say we're going to be okay, to keep us safe, and to process the feelings that come up right after the trauma. And then it doesn't become post-traumatic symptoms. So, is that is, is that somewhat what parents help kids do? Hold their hand and say, okay, it's going to be okay, or understand the first day of school. Exactly. You know, and then when we grow up to be adults, yeah. we don't think we need it maybe and but yet we do but what's happened when parents do that for kids the kids internalize knowing how to do it mm. so then mm -hmm. they can do it for themselves that's called being a grown-up right you know okay you know i just i just learned that the kids in england during world war ii who were sent into the countryside to avoid the bombing of london had more mm -hmm. PTSD than the children who stayed in London with their families and got bombed. Wow. <laughs> yes. That's how important this is. Because they didn't have anyone there to say, it's okay, it's going to be okay, we're here. Plus being separated from your primary caregivers is a trauma in itself. <laughs> right. While we're on this subject, I read an article that you wrote, and you mentioned secondary trauma. Yeah. What is that? Secondary trauma is when you start having trauma uh, symptoms because you have witnessed someone being traumatized or you've heard stories about people being traumatized, especially if they're your family members. Mm. So, and people who are counselors, for instance, or medical people or EMTs, you know, they could be vulnerable to secondary trauma because they're hearing it all day long about all these awful things that have happened to people. Right. I used to wonder about my counselor. I'm like, really? He's got to hear this stuff all day long. Yeah. And, and I used to say, this is going to sound crazy, but yeah. this is what happened. Right. <laughs> well, you know, the, and, and there, is, uh, there are studies that show what counselors can do to not have secondary trauma, mm -hmm. which is to stay within their own bodies, mm -hmm. their own boundaries, and be able to track their reactions as they're happening. That's the key. Wow. Because if I know I'm me and I know you're you, I can listen to these stories without getting triggered because mm -hmm. I actually feel what's happening is uh, something helpful is happening. Right. And when I was in your class and we had assignments, we would go and create a scene and write a, a short story about what's happened. And I would come back and that was so incredibly helpful for me to share my story with a small group of folks and get that positive feedback, almost that hand-holding that I needed that I didn't have um, at the time. And you've done some research or you've discovered the research on writing to heal from trauma. Tell us, take us through some of that that you've learned about why writing is so beneficial? Well, the research was originated by James Pennebaker, and originally he had students at his university sign up to do some writing 20 minutes a day, four days in a row. And he had four groups. One group was, write the worst thing that ever happened to you, and tell just what happened. The second group was tell just what you felt about it. The third group was tell both what happened and how you felt about it. 
And then there was a fourth control group that was writing about random subjects, uh, like your weekend or your shoes or something, you know? Huh? Right. So what he noticed was that only one out of those four groups started to have some beneficial effects. And that one was the group that wrote what happened and how they felt about it. And he also noticed that the more concrete they were about describing the scene, the more beneficial effects they got. And he actually started measuring the, the biological effects. Like he would draw blood before and after <laughs> and <Right. laughs> measure white blood cells and T cells, you know. He'd measure people's stress responses through saliva and through those electric electrode on your skin kind of tests, you know. Right, right. He'd also interview people before and after about their social lives and their moods. And he'd also test um, performance at school or at work mm -hmm. if the study was about workers, you know. So on every level, that one group had biological, emotional, and behavioral outcomes that were beneficial. And so being a researcher, that was a statistical significance. Yeah. Right. In, oh, yeah. In and let me tell you that many people copied his study and applied it to different populations, including Holocaust survivors, arthritic cancer survivors, uh, people who'd been, what's the word, you know, fired from a job, let go, mm -hmm. downsized from a company. Right. You know, so... International studies have been done, and it's all borne out. So everyone is finding the same type of success that writing about what happened and the feelings yeah. what you felt at that time, yes, correct? right. And writing a story, having a story arc, having a beginning, a middle, and an end. And using, this is what thrilled me when I learned about this, because everything that I was teaching in my writing class, you know, about the five modes and the story arc and the concrete details and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Those exact things are, were produce a healing. Wow. So you can write, and if you don't write well or write using those writing techniques, you don't get the healing. Right. But also what he says is this applies to things that are unresolved in your life. I mean, you can write stories about things that you don't have trauma over or post-traumatic stress over, and it doesn't increase your immune system, for instance. Right. So it's got to be something that's that, and, and it could be something that you don't know or don't realize that it's bothering you, right? Or that you haven't healed. Exactly. Well, most trauma survivors, it takes a long time for them to get that they're trauma survivors or to believe what happened to them. Mm-hmm. So you have something that you'd like to share, something that you've written that you'd like to share with yeah. us. Can you read that for us now? Sure. I mean, my trauma was being a child of Armenian genocide survivors and always being a foreigner because I was born in Morocco and then we moved to the States. And so my big issue is, do I belong? Mm. And uh, I'll just read this passage. When I'm in the woods, I always feel as if I've come back home. But is that true? Do I really belong? Can I be here in a way that doesn't disturb the other creatures? I look up at the sky and ask, did we really get kicked out of Eden? 
or are we deluded into thinking we're no longer in the garden? Immediately, two birds no bigger than my heart fly in from my left. The male, showing a hint of yellow, perches on a branch about a foot away from my head. He's singing nonstop. The female flies past my face and perches on a branch at my right elbow, eyeing me in that quick, jerky, sideways ways of birds. I freeze, moving only my eyeballs to look at them, hoping not to scare them away. Next, I feel a fluttering at my neck and then at the top of my head. The male is still on his branch, chirping away. The female is a halo around my head. Suddenly, they take off. She's flying in the lead with him following, singing and singing. She has two of my hairs in her beak. I still can't move. What can you feel when you ask the sky a big question and boom, an answer appears? I love that. Tell me, how long ago did you write that? Oh, I don't know when I wrote it. I think the event happened somewhere in the late 80s. And um, I kept trying to write about it. I tried to write a poem about it. But I finally wrote about it several years after it happened. Okay. And what, what meaning does that piece hold for you? Well, one of the symptoms of trauma is feeling utterly alone and isolated. So I used to get my sense of belonging from going into the woods all the time. Mm-hmm. Nature, you know. And to me, nature is always telling us we're, we're part of something big. We're just woven right in to this whole creation. And it, um, it gives meaning. Yeah, I love that. Now, in your workshops, you teach people how to write about their lives, but the folks listening don't have that uh, privilege like I did. So if you could tell them a couple of things to help them get started. How, how would someone just get started writing about their life? Well, uh, my favorite line is, write as if you had a body. In other words, whatever you put down... It should be through the five senses and through what you've experienced. Right. So you can get really bored with your own writing if all you're writing is your thoughts or even your feelings. Mm -hmm. But if you write what happened and you write it and use all five senses, that's the biggest thing. So write what you see, what you hear. Yeah. Yeah. What you feel with the sense of touch, what you smell. Exactly. Right. You know, what does the light look like? uh, What's the texture of what you're touching or what you're wearing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as you mentioned, one writer said, writing about a memory does something to it. Yes. What does it do? It changes where and how it's stored in the brain. In other words, if you're writing about traumatic memory and you're able to construct a story out of it, It stops being something that people have flashbacks about and relive Mm -hmm. and makes it more like just a normal, regular memory. Where you can pack it up and put it where it belongs, right? And also feel, yeah, that happened to me, but it's not ruling my life anymore. It doesn't define you. Yes. Love that. Isn't that amazing? Mm. So our bodies and our minds are just miracles. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> They're really miracles. So you really believe that it's healing to write, whether it's for publication or not. So it's not something that you've got to write about your life and share it with the world or here's what really happened. It's not a tell-all thing. It's it's more of a personal thing for personal healing, right? Yeah. But, and I, can I add something to that? Absolutely. What some of my people tell me, so you're in a group, in a class, and you've written something that surprises you because there's been a, an exercise offered, right? Mm -hmm. So you read it, and now that you've written it, you reread it, and there, it has a further impact on you. And then one person told me, and then you get invited to share it. And I always make that optional in my groups. Uh -huh. But the people who have opted to share say once they speak it with their voice and have other people's ears receive it, then the impact really hits them. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that's when they cry. They've already written it and read it twice. Mm -hmm. And they don't cry until they say it out loud, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and really understand what it means. Hmm. So I think I, I'm very careful about picking who you read to and making a safe space because these are sacred things. Right. And you, you want to you share it with people who've earned the right to hear it. Hmm. I remember you saying that, and I enjoyed that because not necessarily everybody or anybody in your life can receive that. Right. It is a privilege. And the other thing I want to add to, and you may have experienced this as part of what happened for you, is when you're crafting something out of what happened to you, now you're the person, well, who's the author, the authority? Mm -hmm. In other words, you have agency over this thing. You're taking charge of something that overwhelmed you at one point. Right. You know, it's like gaining power over it. Yeah. It loses its power. Right. And, and you have power over that. And that's such a good feeling. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Especially when things are going haywire. You've got your, your whole life is out of control. Right. At least you have something. Right. And that's, that's really good. And, you know, when someone's trying to control every move you make and you say, no, I am telling it like it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is how it's going down. Yeah. So, Anais, you have a website, which is awarenessheals.com. That's awareness-heals.com, correct? That's right. And that's your digital space where you live and you have upcoming workshops, writing to heal, aware touch for couples, and, and introductions to the Rosen Method. And you've given us a lovely document a bibliography of resources for writing and writing to heal, which is incredibly helpful. Yeah, I picked my favorites. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of research out there and there's a lot of writing resources out there, but these are the best of the best that you found for us. I appreciate that. And then there's an article that we're also going to put a link to that you wrote yeah. on writing to heal. Mm -hmm. Well, Anais, we are out of time, but I want to come back and revisit a lot of this because there, this is so powerful. I just wish everybody knew the power of writing. I just love that you're changing the world the way you are. Yay! Well, you had a big part in that. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, too. Great information from Anais Salibian. I'm so glad that writing life stories helps people heal from trauma. 
that's one of the big reasons we created this podcast in the first place. It's time now to peek into the Life Story Toolkit. And this is where I share information on one particular tool that you might consider using if you're writing or would like to start writing about your life. The Life Story Toolkit is sponsored by lifestorytelling.com, where you can find your life theme, discover where to start writing, and craft your life into a compelling story. This episode's Life Story Toolkit features the Happiness Project One Sentence Journal. This is a journal you'll want to give as a gift. It's one of the easiest journals to use, and it's by the author of the best-selling book, The Happiness Project, Gretchen Rubin. In her book, Gretchen discovers the pleasure of writing just one sentence every day. The Happiness Project One Sentence Journal helps you to make a fascinating time capsule over the next five years of your life. Simply turn to today's date, reflect on the quote at the top of the page, and jot down just one sentence. That's it. This daily ritual is highly doable, and as the years go by, you can see how your entries evolve. You could write just one sentence a day, couldn't you? You could write just one sentence a day, couldn't you? It's a great way to build a habit of happiness. You can find the Happiness Project One Sentence Journal on Amazon.com, and I've also put it on our show notes. I have some good news for you as well. I'll interview Gretchen Rubin on our next podcast episode, and you're going to love what her next research project has revealed. All I can say is you'll want to tune in to discover how you can benefit from her work. That's all we have for today. If you like this podcast, check us out at writeofyourlife.com slash Anais, A-N-A-I-S. There you'll find show notes from today's show, links to the items mentioned in each episode, and sometimes even bonus material. If you enjoyed this information, the best gift you can give is to share it with another person. Perhaps you know of someone who would benefit from this episode. You can find the share button on just about any podcast player you're listening to right now. You can also head over to writeofyourlife.com and share it from there. We're on Pinterest, Facebook, and just about anywhere you can hold a great virtual conversation. My handle is Write of Your Life. This show is put together by consulting producer Nick Jaworski at podcastmonster.com and myself, Stacy Curtis. We hope that today you have the right of your life.